If you are married or would like to be married one day, this conversation is for you. Our friend Nate Ovenden joins us to talk about the joys and challenges of marriage. Let's talk about it on Mandate. And welcome, my friends, to another episode of Mandate. My name is Joe Obermuller. I am here, as always, with my very good friend, Mr. Ben Krush. What's up, everybody? Ben Krush, how you doing today? Doing well, sir. Doing very well. Excited about the day. Excited about our guest. We got some fall weather coming in, and uh, I'm just in a really stupendous mood. <laughs> Whichever <laughs> vocabulary word starts with S. <laughs> you know, it's like a Rolodex of S's. I, I, I don't know when, uh, you know, I'm excited about our conversation today, too. I'm not sure exactly when this one will drop. There might be snow on the ground by the time this one is They're dropping. Very... So I want everybody, as you're listening to this, and if it's like 16 degrees outside, I have no idea. Just remember that w- that it's coming. It's coming back. That's right. It's going to be beautiful soon. We recorded this in on a 70-plus day. That's right. So 100% humidity, too. That's right. It is. Yeah. My that's wife right. was out running today, and it was beautiful, Ooh. but she was sweaty because it was 100% humidity. Mm-hmm. We feel it. Uh, Nate Ovenden, thanks for joining us today. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Nate and Ben uh, know one another through a few different channels. Is that right? That's correct, Joe. So we uh, initially met because our wives are going through uh, a wonderful accelerated nursing program. That's how we initially met. Nate uh, and Jenna were dating at the time. And Sarah and I were married. Uh, and what happened was uh, we turned that little friendship into a young married life group led by our pastor. Uh, and we've really just stayed connected since. I think it's, you know, what I talk about a lot, Joe, is friendships are based off proximity, but there's also some eternal bonds that you don't have to be in complete proximity with people. You just know that that person's always there for you. That's what Nate is for me. Yeah, that's right. So we were in a life group for probably three or four years together, and then we had to split. So Ben Ben took a a group, and I took a group, and um, even though we didn't see each other regularly, we actually work right next to each other as of two weeks ago. Yep. So we'll be doing some lunch runs together again. Excellent. That is so good. Well, yep. you know, this is, I'm, I'm excited to get into the conversation today. You know, we're three, three married men sitting here. Uh, two of us have experienced divorce before and, uh, and I'm just excited to talk about all that that implies because in our Culture and society today, we ought not be surprised that divorce is a is an outcome that uh, happens to a lot of people, and uh, like so many other things, we have to get better at talking about it. So uh, yeah, um, so I'm excited to get into that. But first, Nate, can you tell us just a little bit about you and what you're up to, and maybe about your family, whatever you want to share with us? Yeah, so currently I'm married to my wife Jenna. Uh, we've been married for uh, nine years, coming up on ten years next June. So boom, I'm excited about that. We have two wonderful daughters, a four-year-old Emery and a two-year-old Ella, and they are uh, pretty much the center of our world. So we, uh, I do work at a Sanford Health Plan and um, start a, start in the process of starting a Medicare Advantage program um, and work with healthcare insurance, which is like you know every kid's dream growing up is to work in healthcare insurance. So. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where you say it and you're like, I think people are sleeping already. But it's actually, it's pretty fascinating to get in the details of everything that is required and, you know, the different strategies b- behind health insurance and 
Um, ultimately, we're trying to create a, a great product for the elderly in, in Sioux Falls and uh, some of the Sanford area. Cool. Amazing. So, um, so t- 10 years coming up. Is that what you said, Nate? Yep. 10 years in June. All right. We're, we celebrated 12 years just a couple weeks ago. Ben? Congrats. Where, where are you and Sarah at? Yeah. Ten, it'll be 10 in May. 10 in May. Yep. Amazing. Yeah. We were a month apart. Yep. That's right. Yep. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So, um, let's just jump into this. Uh, I was, um, right after college, I was married and divorced after just two years. And it was a profound experience for me to go through that because it was something that I just never, ever, ever thought would happen to me, you know? And I, (laughs) it's, it's, I laugh because I, I bet no one goes into marriage thinking, you know what? I think this marriage is going to fail. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but it did, and, and it took it took several years to sort of work through the shame and guilt and to arrive at a place where I recognized God's grace in my life to be able to talk about it freely, to know that I had been forgiven for these things that had happened. Uh, and now I'm just grateful to be in a be in a position where I can have this microphone in front of me talking about this and feel really actually excited about the conversation. So can you share a little bit about your experience with that? Yeah, um, this is the first time hearing it, so it's uh, it's certainly a similar story to me where I got married right right outside of, or right after college. I actually went here at USF, and uh, that marriage really lasted, I would say, for two years. Um, the third year was pretty rocky, and like you said, going into it, you never go into marriage thinking that you're going to get divorced. So uh, for me, especially, I you know, I made a vow that when I got married, I was going to get married one time. Every single one of my aunts and uncles and my parents were divorced, and I wanted to break that chain of, of divorce in my family. So I was, I was adamant that no matter what, I was going to be married one time and one time only, and that we were going to be married till the day we died. And, you know, two years in, that drastically changed. And, you know, I was not expecting it i was not really prepared for what was about to happen but all like ultimately looking back on it it was the best experience of my life in a very strange way yeah yeah i understand that uh i'm with college students a lot and so just the other day i was i was listening to someone talk about the pressure that they feel to be married by the time they leave college and some people do that and it's it's great and it works out uh and for others, it, it doesn't, and then they feel a, a bunch of pressure to do that. So was that was that you? I mean, did you just feel sort of like, well, this is the obvious next step, and that's what we do? And we Yeah, I think, you know, especially at a, a small private Christian school where everyone, it seems, gets married when they're 21 or 22. You know, I came here really to play football, and then first semester, God kind of got a hold of my life, and change the trajectory trajectory of where I was going. And, uh, before I know it, I'm, I, I was in this, uh, you know, Christian group of, of friends and everyone, um, including, you know, my best friends were getting married. So we all got married at the same time. So I would say, yeah, we definitely felt, felt the pressure. And, you know, I think at, at 22 graduating college, you think, you know, yourself and you think, you know, the world, but you really don't at that age. I mean, you're still, you're still developing, you're still figuring out who you are. And I think that's probably a part of, a part of what happened with, with my first marriage. 
So can we go into, I think it's going to be good for the listeners and you guys can go however deep or however far you want to go with this. I think what people need to hear and unfortunately probably want to hear is the circumstances of how you got to like, why, did, what was the, maybe the original reason and looking back on it, what have you learned or what, do you, what can you perceive as the actual reason? Yeah, I think Nate actually hit on an important point there just at the end about uh, having having much too much pride and not enough humility at that stage in life. Sure. Uh, and, and not really having the language to, to even express it. So I remember feeling very nervous and um, uncertain about taking this step, but was was very prideful in not allowing anybody to know about that uncertainty. And mm-hmm. so I really didn't talk to anybody about it. I, mm-hmm. I uh, you know, we were we were dating towards the end of our college career, and I just I was just was doing all of that processing by myself, not not having the maturity really to do that kind of processing, and the 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 few people that questioned it, and one of those people was uh, a professor of mine at our undergraduate school, <laughs> really uh-huh. sort of challenged me on it. And I was so mad at him for doing that. I was just like, why are you, you know, it just felt so invasive at the time. But really, it was just an ego thing. It was like, oh, man, you just sucker punched my pride. Right. So I'm going to do it, right. you know. Yeah. Mm. And uh, and then in retrospect, like so many other things that become clearer as we get older, that's what it was. It was just deep insecurity. I, I was very scared about what I was doing after college and, and uh, the the pressure that I was putting on myself to be successful and so I was like well this is the next step in being successful so we're just gonna we're just gonna do it and work through it yeah absolutely and I think it's always you know that was the progression of relationships with my group of friends so we felt we felt that pressure to get married I don't think I I don't think I was second guessing whether I should have been getting married I think I was probably too naive to even do that at the time but I think you know, based on your question, Ben, about, you know, what were the circumstances then and what are the circumstances now? And I think that's, that's something that is a process to get to because, um, for me, my wife was, my, my first wife was going back to, to school. And so she was around this new group of people that, that weren't Christians. And she was kind of being opened up to this, this whole new world that she wasn't used to. And it really, took you know just a little bit of attention from from a guy and that's what that's what started it so from the outside you know it was it was pretty easy for everyone to see what happened and be like oh yeah she was to blame like she made the mistake it's her fault you're the victim and i think i i really i felt that for the first couple of months and then you know as 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 i was working through it with god it became more and more clear that you know i am I'm responsible for the divorce just as much as she is. Well, and I would say most of that is, you know, my lack of leadership in, in the marriage and my lack of pursuit. And I think without a doubt, the one thing I've learned is that if you're not pursuing your wife, someone else is going to, there's someone in the corner, just lurking, waiting, someone that's interacting with them on a daily basis someone who just drops a comment. Maybe there's some insecurity in your wife and all she needs to hear is that she's beautiful from someone else. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be something that small, that little seed gets planted 
and and that's what starts it so you know from the outside it was like oh like complete shock they never would have seen it coming well looking back on it it was it was about a year process from from that that relationship that she had it wasn't one night all of a sudden she decided to just leave it was he said she was beautiful and that was the start of it mm-hmm. and then it was like a year's worth of building and then uh eventually she ended up leaving oh my gosh nate yeah but absolutely profound mm-hmm. what you just said i don't think there's a lot of people out there that even processing through that could get to where, what you just said i think that is a I don't think I've ever heard you say that either. Maybe. That was unbelievable. Okay, so what you're saying, for those that are are listening, your wife left you, and and there was some extramarital something that happened. Those details aren't important. But then you blame her. All your friends and family likely are blaming her. And then as you're working through that, you get to a place where you're you're saying, well, I'm actually 50% at fault too and it's like it's mostly because of a non-pursuit 100 percent. wow totally took it for granted as soon as you got married the chase is over yeah. like i've done my part i'm i'm trying to be a provider at that point you know she's going to school i'm working two jobs 60 hours a week getting paid eight ten dollars an hour you know doing everything to that i think is right and uh thinking that that i'm protecting and providing but i wasn't pursuing and you know that every woman i don't care what women say they want to be pursued right and that is the biggest challenge for a husband is to find that drive to pursue them every single day because it's it's hard that's right it's very hard joe sorry i interrupted where were you gonna go just you you said it i mean how you just articulated that is the same for me and I, I wonder if that's a similar story for people who have been intentional about dealing with it you know and and working through a divorce like that because what happened to me is the same thing where it was like God slowly as, as I was working through the guilt and shame about it brought people into my life to help me understand the ways in which I contributed to the divorce and I didn't want to believe those things were true about me you know, right. yep. and I was like, yep. and then, and those are hard things to, to, uh, accept and embrace, but in a strange way, uh, and in, and in God's good mercy towards us, once I was able to recognize those things, I, I felt a little more free and, um, and able to talk about it more to people. I used to be so afraid to admit that I had been married before, uh, but but over time that that has changed. So Joe, um, Nate's talking about a specific circumstance, right? There's a buildup and there's a post op essentially is, is your story similar or is it, is it from a non-pursuit? What does that look like for you for that buildup for, because what I'm hearing is that you had some insecurity going into it, but you processed it yourself. That's right. And I'm just trying to get our listeners into, especially men, start thinking about this stuff well i i appreciate what nate said about about pursuit and and to me i I call that like deposits you know it's like the the tiny little deposits that we make in our relationships on a day-to-day basis that don't seem like much at the time but they accumulate and that's what was missing i mean Mm -hmm. just those that there were just 
little circumstances all along the way that that were tiny deposits into the eventual just breakdown of the marriage and and so there wasn't really any singular event but i could point to a lot about Mm -hmm. well you know we we got married without any marriage counseling we were not a part of a of a church body we were not actively pursuing our faith together so there was just lots of little like red flags where you you look at it from the outside and and you're like you you guys are headed for a cliff here and if you don't well do anything about it (laughs) it's not going to be a surprise where it ends up right okay so speaking of deposits one of my favorite things about being married is having sex with my wife one of my absolute favorite things absolutely no question and i like talking about it you both know this i like talking about it but this is one of the reasons we started mandate so i am again i'm in a place of naivete here what does sex look like one i want to know what the conversation looks like you're both remarried what does that conversation look like with your current wives that i mean you were with someone prior and married and and enduring or getting getting to have that benefit of sex and and Nate I feel like there's something on your heart as well like you're 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 having wonderful postmarital sex it's a beautiful wonderful thing and then that thing is taken away I can't imagine where people go with that drive now that they've been given the opportunity to you get what I'm asking yeah so I would say um it's going to sound a little harsh, but I was divorced before it was the cool thing to do. Like now I feel like a lot of people are getting divorced, but we were what 24 and divorced, which is kind of a very strange predicament because nobody, there's no one else to talk to or to relate to. Um, so I did see a counselor, which was you know, the best thing I've ever done just to be able to talk through what was going on to someone who, who really knew nothing at all. And, I remember um, one of the things he told me was, well, you haven't been, you haven't been married that long. So, you know, two years of having sex on a regular basis, it shouldn't be that hard for you to just turn it off. And I was like, well, I waited my whole life for the, for this marriage to have sex. And then all of a sudden, two years later, it's like cut off cold Turkey. And it's a, it's a very strange thing because no one's going to talk to you about it. But for me and what God was doing in my heart at that time, it was it was very much it was actually pretty easy for me, strangely enough, to to wait for my next marriage because of the pain that was caused from that extramarital affair. Because that sex outside of a marriage, whether you're married, unmarried, whatever, sex outside of marriage causes pain in some way, shape, or form. Mm. And so it was easy for me to, in some ways, to um, just relive that pain that I had felt from it and then not want to bring any of that onto my next relationship or marriage. So, um, yeah, it was one of those things that I don't think people talk about at all is once you're uh, divorced, then what? But I do see a lot of people that go... A little crazy with it and feel like you know they're 21 and in college again and i just really want to caution people that 
you know that is not the right route to go if if you want if you want that true healing so i think one thing that i always told myself is like this is going to hurt like hell no matter what so i just want i like i want to experience that real pain without masking it with sex or drugs or drinking like i just want to feel that pain so i can move on from it so yeah. it was in, very intentional for me to to not try to mask uh mask the deep 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 sorrow that i was feeling and to actually embrace that and really what it did is it refined my relationship with god and it was the most profound you know year of my life is that that post divorce recovery time where you know it felt like i was leaning on god just to take my next breath mm. and there's a part of there's a part of that that you really can't explain unless you've gone through some sort of a, a a tragedy in your life where there's this closeness to God during that period that you just can't replicate unless you're really, really, truly desperate. And during that time I was, and looking back, like that, those were some of the best times in my life because I was so close to God and I felt like we were communicating, like I could almost hear him audibly at mm. times because that's how bad I, I needed him just to survive. So for me, going back to the sex thing, uh, I was just very much focused on God and that was not a part of it. But I'm looking at people now who, you know, we're in our mid thirties or older, some younger, I'm sure. But um, there's, there's five couples in the last three weeks since you, since Ben approached me and asked me about doing the show that are either in the process of getting divorced or uh, things are not going well with with their marriages. So I just caution people like that is not the right path to take. And, you know, if things if unfortunately you do get divorced, I just encourage you to embrace that pain because it does hurt, but you're going to feel it at some point or another. So you might as well feel it uh, authentically instead of trying to to mask it. It's incredible to me listening to you talk about this, knowing that you're 24, you're 24 as you're as you're processing these things, what an incredible amount of, of maturity you had at 24 to be thinking through it like that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where it came from other than, you know, God. And it was just me deciding to, to lean into and, and, and lean into him. And I don't want to like come across as I didn't make any mistakes during that process or I was perfect. But um, for me, it was a really, really, truly a special time that, that sometimes I, I do miss because of mm -hmm. that closeness. And I, I think the most profound moment of my life came on the very last day with my wife, where I would say we were actually still trying to be married because divorce takes yeah. a long time, but there's like, you know, the, the real divorce and then the official divorce. So I would say the real divorce when we truly weren't in a relationship anymore, um, you know, she basically told me that she was choosing the other guy over me. And I was like, are you for real? And she's like, yep. And so I just drove around with her and I finally pulled over to the side. I'm like, so you're choosing him over God, me, your family, it listed off all this. And she's like, yeah, I am. And I never felt so rejected in my life. And I just immediately told God, I was like, God, I I gave everything, even though 
I wasn't perfect and I, mm-hmm. I was complacent, but I was like, God, I feel like I gave everything to this marriage and she's telling me I'm not enough. And he goes, immediately God said, that's what she's telling me too. Oh. And that's what you're telling. And that's what you tell me, Nate, every time you sin. That oh. I give you everything that you could possibly want, yet I'm not enough. And so instead of being the victim like I was in my head, all of a sudden I was like, Oh my, oh my gosh, like I've never I've never felt this rejection before. And and God, you're telling me this is how you feel every time I choose drinking over mm-hmm. you or mm-hmm. porn over you. Whatever that is in your life, that is the rejection that God feels every time I sin. And that was uh for sure the uh, a life-changing moment for me and I wish I I wish I had that feeling every time I send I would send a whole lot less yeah but um I really got to experience his unconditional love in that in that time too which can't be matched so um it was just it was incredible incredible time to to know that God was with me that whole way and I needed him because I wasn't going to get through it without him yeah wow what a powerful yeah I know, goosebumps powerful. goosebumps brother nate thank you i uh that is know, a, such a good one that sort of reminds me of that oh that that really profound feeling of of uh rejection and failure and uh all, all those there's lots of feelings that go along with it but um i remember sitting with a with the pastor i was living in florida at the time uh, and, um, he really helped me turn that corner to understand the good news in that of, of God's grace and mercy in our lives. Uh, when, when he was like, you know, a lot of people see, you know, look at the Bible about divorce and, and it says things like God hates divorce, you know, and th- that can feel so condemning. And he said to me, it's not that. He goes, God hates divorce because of what it causes his children, the pain that it causes, the division that it causes, the brokenness that it causes. He does not hate you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he does not hate you. He right. loves you. You are right. fully accepted right. because of what Jesus has done. You are fully accepted. You are fully loved. You are fully approved of. And that was like a turning. I mean, I remember very clearly sitting in his office having that conversation more than 10 years ago. And that was the first time I, that I just felt a little bit freer right. and able to express to other people because I, I was no longer worried about the, the rejection or condemnation I was going to face from somebody who might think something different about me because I'd been divorced. Uh, th- that powerful message of how God looks at me was, was a, a, a heart changer for me. Right. He's yep. sad, right? He, what you, you've, you've told me this part before, Joe, this story. He's hurt because you hurt, right? That's right. He's sad because you are sad, right? And he's feeling the feels with you. It's not that he hates divorce. He hates what divorce causes, which is just absolutely... What, divine sadness, right? Like you both have experienced it, a sadness that you cannot explain to someone. Yes, you've had likely people die in your life um, 
or or some other kind of tragedy but you know when when you sign up for marriage what you're doing is that essentially you two are becoming one in relationship with Jesus Christ mm-hmm. that's the that's the key Ben I, and and it goes back to what we were saying earlier about like if there's a way we can throw up the red flags about taking this seriously now's the time because mm-hmm. now in our present age and I think this might be I I have no idea I have no data to back this up but you said you know you're just aware of more people around you that are really struggling in marriage that are that are close to divorce or already are divorced and I think we're just living in an age where every there's just so much anxiety and fear and around us all the time that 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 starts to percolate and manifest itself in our homes and in our in our marriage and so now's the time to really start taking it seriously like I okay I heard that I have to I'm not very good at pursuing my wife Mm -hmm. who can help me with that how can I be in, in in a in some kind of community where I can be encouraged toward that or whatever the whatever the the self-awareness thing that needs to be true you know that you need to be aware of who is it in your life that's going to be able to tell you that yeah i think that's huge it's a it's a community you need a community whether it's uh uh married couples like we have or if it's a uh, uh we're in a bible study i've been in bible study for the last like six years or so um but what i told the bible study this week is it's really about accountability so you know you can have a Bible study with, with 12 guys, but you need a few men in your life as a man, you need a few men in your life that you can tell anything to Mm. absolutely anything to. There are things that we can talk about that our wives don't need to hear about, but the moment that you, you think you're the only one, or you have this, you know, you're a freak because you had this crazy thought or whatever the situation is, or you think you're, you're in too deep, I guarantee you the moment you tell someone, you physically speak it out, that that weight will be lifted Mm. and you can start working through it. But I've noticed, uh, you know, a lot of these marriages are ending because husbands are having secret lives and affairs and they've never told anyone ever. They've never felt comfortable. And, you know, you can look back on it and you're like, man, I I should have seen the signs or I, you know, this kind of makes sense now that I hear it out loud. But and never once did I approach them and be like, hey, man, is there anything that you're really, really struggling with that, like, you know, this is a safe place. This is not going to go to your wife. Like, what do you want to talk about? Mm. And and we don't have that often. And if you have it, it's because you seek it out. That's right. It's not going to come to you. And I think I think for, for me, for, for marriage and that pursuit, it has to start with God. And I know that Ben and I talked about this on our run last week that you know really the priorities um i think at this stage of our life we all have the excuse that we're too busy we're too busy to take our wife on a date we're too busy to put god first but really truly if our priorities are god first our wife second our kids third and our jobs fourth it's going to be a game changer yep because 100 percent, if you look at your life Everything is telling me to put my job first, my kids second, my wife third, and God fourth. Mm-hmm. And when you focus on God first, that translates to your wife, that translates down to your kids, and then that translates down to your work. 
And it's very, very hard, especially for me. This is the, the biggest challenge because I have so much work pressure right now with like government deadlines that don't change. So I have this excuse in my head, like, oh, I have to stay. I have to stay an extra hour. I have to look like I'm the hardest worker because I, I, I want people to think highly of me. And I have to remember that I got to put God first every day, my wife second, kids, then work. Because mm. it's easy to be a good dad. It's really hard to be a good husband. In my, like naturally. Amen. Yeah, I have two yeah. young two young daughters. It's easy for me to to be a good dad, but pursuing my wife and pursuing God that is the challenge. But I I I can guarantee that our culture would change if we were better husbands. Everyone says that it's about you know not having dads or there's a bunch of bad dads around and that's mm -hmm. causing it's because there's bad husbands, and we've learned that from our parents who learned it from their parents. It's broken people learning from broken people learning from broken people and we have a chance to to reestablish what a good marriage looks like mm. and it's not easy and it's a daily a daily pursuit that's right much like your relationship with god 100 a daily pursuit yes because yeah that's that's right i mean if you're talking about where we learn these things, where we see these things. And, and you look at God, it's sort of like what we were talking about earlier. It's like, okay, how, how, do I, how do I pursue well? Well, you see in the Bible, the entirety of the Bible is about a God who, who relentlessly pursues the people he loves, which is you and me, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's the whole story of right. redemption is that, God loves us so much that even when we turn away, even when we're, we're just don't care about him at all, he's coming after us with, yeah. with no, you know? And it's like, so if you want the model of that, that's what we're talking about. The model of that is available. And, and there are people that, are, that would love to walk with you in learning about that, that model or be reminded about the way God has showed us, sh shown us that. Uh, but because I, I'm totally with you, I think I think we have to admit, Nate, that w I'm not a very good husband. I'm not very naturally good at it, right. and I and I and I so I need to stop if I'm uh, if I'm trying to uh, mask that in my life. If I'm trying to appear that I'm a that I'm just got it all together, I got people in my life that can see right through that, you know, and that's and, huge, and can that's call huge. call that stuff out. I, I think God wants pursuit over perfection all day because i uh, you know i'm going through the old testament right now in, in my bible study and you know every single biblical hero is like a hero on on the sin category too. that's right like, it's not like small sin it's like murder lots of murder lots of adultery lots of lots of bad things but i think a lot of times we we let perfection stop our pursuit and just looking at the Bible, God didn't use perfect people, but he used the people that pursued him. So if we, it, it's so easy for me as uh, someone who grew up with, with sports and always, you know, found my identity and my accomplishments that, um, or, or trying to be perfect or trying to be, get these rewards. It's important that we focus on that pursuit 
and not let the perfection stop us because we're going to fall. We're yeah. going to fall pursuing God first. We're going to fall pursuing our wife second. Like we're, we're not going to be good dads all the time, and we're not going to be good employees all the time. But it's getting up the next day and, and not stopping because of that failure. Right. Or because you can't do it perfectly. So to me, it's um, I'm reminded of it because I do fall short every day that the next day I got to start over and pursue him, pursue my wife. And, you know, I think one thing I wanted to to talk about is I think there's a lot of resistance to some of the, the biblical teaching on marriage with, um, especially from a woman's perspective and, you know, having them uh, be submissive. You know, that's something that does not fly in 2021. True. And my wife is the most wonderful woman in the world, but she is not someone who would be considered submissive. She's a very much strong-willed, she can do it on her own. She doesn't need me. But what I've learned is that when I put God first and her second, she, she'll she follow. She wants me to be the leader. She wants me to be the head of the house. But I don't do it well enough for her to consistently follow me. And I think if we can focus on those first two things, like we will lead our families. And it's not this, uh, you know, sexist thing where you no. do what I say, because if you look how Christ led the church, that's the hardest type of leadership you've ever seen. And that's the leadership we're called to as, as husbands mm -hmm. and, and fathers. And so, um, my wife is not submissive, but she is when I'm doing my part. Yeah. I mean that, that word is just kind of a buzzword in, totally. in our, in our society now, because it has so many negative connotations to it because the, the consequence of, of using power for selfish gain right. is, uh, is all of the things we've seen unfold in our, in our country and in our world, where, where people use power to, to abuse or to harm or, right. to, or for selfish gain. But in this context, that's not what it, that's not what it is. I mean, when Christ talks about his relationship to the church, to us, he's talking about that in terms of of the fruits of the spirit, which is gentleness and kindness and self-control and, and all those other uh, virtues. And, and so when, when that is evident in marriage or in relationship, then the word submissive is not, as we know it that today, it doesn't quite describe that well. It's, it's right. a complementarian environment where m my wife wants me to be in communication and relationship with God so that she can trust me when I'm making decisions about our family and what, what I think God is calling us to do together. So right. it's not, it's not that she's like somehow worshiping me, but she's honoring the call that God has on my life to be the leader in our family, Right. which does not mean she does not have leadership, but, but it does mean that we complement one another mm. in, in the various ways we, serve God, serve one another, and our, and our children, and those around us. Right. Okay, so we're on our way up Hope Mountain, so I'm, I want to keep climbing. I assume we got to wrap up in a fairly short your, order. Your intuition is, is correct. Okay, so the one thing I, I want people to take away from this is, is some hope, right? That there is hope out there. So you both are remarried. You both have beautiful, beautiful wives, and I don't mean their looks. I mean, like, their souls, 
are just beautiful people. And that's a compliment to the both of you. So tell me a couple things that you learned, not from your previous marriage, from that time of, of loneliness, that time of uh, learning, that time that you likely spent more chiseling yourself that you brought into the marriage that, that you came in. You're like, I'm going to do this different because of that time I had in between marriages. I don't care. I mean, we can, we can make an entire podcast right off of the things you learned from your previous marriage. What are the things that you learned in that building time that you bring into your marriage now? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, I had, I had a solid year by myself, um, working through everything. I, I, like I said, I wasn't like jumping back into the, the dating market. I never thought I would ever date again. So it was, it's a very strange feeling. Like I don't, I don't even know how to do this, but, um, one thing I, I made a, a conscious effort of is I, you know, I, at that point I really felt like I was damaged goods and I was like, I'm already, I'm already bringing in some garbage to this relationship. So I'm going to make sure that, um, I don't add any more garbage than needs to. And, and so when I decided I was ready to start um, dating again, I, I was probably a little too intense, but I, I was like, I'm not, I'm not just having fun. Like if you're not my next wife, we're done because I'm not, I'm not going to break somebody's heart or damage my heart any more than it already is. And so um, when I met, my my wife jenna it was like almost instant where i was like she's gonna be my next wife like i'm not even going to look at anyone else or enter entertain anything else and you know from the m moment we started dating i told her that i was like hey this is either marriage or we're done so the moment we know we're not getting married we just need to we need to end this and so uh that was a little like I said, a little intense, but she was, she was totally on the same page. She felt like really the first time we, we had met that, you know, we were probably going to end up married. And so, um, you know, what I learned about not pursuing my first wife, I've tried, I've failed a lot, but I really, really know that I have to pursue her, her on a daily basis and that, uh, you know, she wants to be pursued. And like I said, if I'm not going to do it, somebody else will. That's good. Yeah. Uh, well said, Nate. Um, so I, my wife and I met in college. We actually met on, on our first day on campus. And I, I really thought at that time she was the one. Um, probably in a, in a, naive sort of this is your second wife or my my set yeah my, yes. the, the woman to whom i'm married now okay. i met on the first day of college so did that is that what was causing some of the uh, the uh, the you said the day you were getting married is that what caused some of that stress or uh, anxiety? not not directly okay. because uh my my current wife janet uh, we, we were friends in college and I really liked her and she just didn't like me back in that way. And so I got the brother speech when right. I tried to, you know, I was like, Hey, I think maybe we're more than friends. And she was like, um, I, I just kind of think of you like my brother, right. <laughs> you know, I could take you to the place on campus where that conversation occurred. So after that happened 
after we had that conversation, Janet and I really went separate ways. And so that's when I started dating this other person and, um, and really lost touch with Janet for, uh, you know, after graduation, it was about six years or so. And then, and then we reconnected and we were living in, she was in Florida. I was in New York at the time. And so I, I tell you that to say, for me, one of the biggest things was the, the sense of just wonder <laughs> and uh, amazement that I had at this unmerited favor that I was receiving. Like there was no reason why at this point in our lives and in Janet's life that she would be available, that she would be even interested in talk, talking to me again, that any of it was happening. And so as we were sort of communicating with one another again, I just, I just kept, I was just in awe that it was happening. And then, you know, as time went on and we, and we ended up seeing one another again, it was the same thing, Nate, where it was like, listen, if we know in the first 15 minutes of, of reconnecting again that, that this is not going to go anywhere, we, we will be, we'll shake hands and call it a day, you know, right. like that yeah. was kind of the arrangement. Yeah. But we, when we did, we finally saw one, one another again for the first time in six years and uh and I, I i knew and i was hoping she knew and and that's what happened and so for me it was like i this is unmerited favor like right. i did not i did nothing to to deserve this there is no reason why janet should be able to hear my story of where i've been the last 6 years and say yeah you're the guy you know <laughs> so it's just totally awesome so that that story is such a grace to me because I, when i remember that and when I'm able to share that, it reminds me of uh, the ways in which God provides lavishly uh, all that we need to really enjoy and lead a bountiful life, you know. And so that, I think for me, Ben, that's the answer. To so that was question. that like three or four years post-divorce that you re-engaged with we, Jana? Uh, y- yeah, it was about – we first got back in touch about a year later, and then it took another year to sort of – reestablish a, a, a connection right uh, so i'd say it was two years and then three years before we were we were married all right so another great episode in the books uh nate there's going to be some people that uh probably want to hear either more of your story or have some questions maybe going through the same thing the fact that you know of four or five additional marriages that are either on the cliff or have maybe jumped off makes me feel as if God's calling you or has been calling you as far as I've known you as someone that you can, there's a soft spot to land because you have a lot of grace and people feel comfortable telling you these kinds of things because you're going to, you're going to give them grace, but more importantly, you're going to give them honesty, which I think is a breath of fresh air. A lot of people will just go talk to their quote unquote inner circle and they will get what they want to hear. But if you go to Nate, you're going to get truth. So if someone wants to reach out to you either about learning more about your testimony or just needs some advice, where do you want them to find you? Well, I don't do Facebook. I do have a profile, but um, I'm on LinkedIn or um, I suppose you could you could uh, send me a message on Facebook. Uh, I'll I'll check it periodically. In two and a half years, you'll check. Yeah, that. <laughs> I'll I'll check it. Yeah. So I'll add one to that. If you guys uh, are also aren't on Facebook uh, or not on LinkedIn, please reach out to us at mandate.pod at gmail.com. We'll get you hooked up. 
with Nate. Uh, you can also find us on a, a lot of other different channels. You can find us on Instagram. Look up Mandate Pod. We're available on all the different um, platforms where you find your podcasts. So Apple, Spotify, Google, you know, where, wherever you want. Please share this episode with someone. I guarantee there's someone in your world that you either have some intuition or uh, just need to hear uh, a little bit about either hope or what it's like to be in this circumstance, please share this. Uh, that's what Mandate's here for. We are trying to get people, we're encouraging people into vulnerable conversations through relationship. And exactly what these two guys talked about today, Joe and Nate, both brought up that they did not have that opportunity to have that conversation vulnerably because it just didn't exist. And so you have to, you have to find it, you have to seek it, and then you have to then be able to share. And so that's what we do here on Mandate. You can find us on Patreon, Twitter. Look look up Mandate Podcast. Look for the orange sticker. And that's where you can find us. Nate, thanks a lot for being here today, man. This was so great to chat with you about this. And just appreciate you being willing to share your story. Yeah, thank you, guys. I always say that God God recycles pain if we let him. So um, if you're... If you're in the midst of a, a struggling divorce, it's not over. It's uh, something that can be salvaged. And if you ever do want to talk, you can certainly reach out. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us again on Mandate. We'll see you next time. <laughs>